I encourage you to take notes. Let me pray. Father God, you are in heaven. You hear our prayers. Please speak to us now. I pray that by your spirit, through your word, you will convict us of our sin, of your judgment, and of Jesus the Savior. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have a confession to make. I'm a pretty clumsy person. And if I go over to your house, most likely I'll break something. But that's not the confession. The confession is that for years when this would happen, I would just subtly hide the thing that I broke. So I'm guessing like months later, they're like, hang on, where's that photo that used to go on that wall? And then years later, they'd find it like stuffed down the back of a piano or something. Now, did anyone else do that? Or is that just me? Okay, one other guy. No, a couple of you. Good, good, good. Now, for me, this wasn't just once. This is a pretty common thing. So if you're out there and you're like, hey, that's where my panda-shaped cookie jar went. Yeah, that was probably me or maybe him or maybe down there. Now I look back on it, though, I can see that if I'd just gone to them and said, hang on, I'm sorry, I broke your panda-shaped cookie jar, I'm pretty sure that they would have forgiven me. And a lot of people think that's how God works too. God will just forgive me. That's his job. Basically, we approach the bad stuff we do in our life like this. We ignore it. And we hope God doesn't find it. And if he does find it, well, we're pretty sure he'll forgive us anyway. But there is a huge problem with thinking like that. If God can just forgive, why did Jesus have to die? See, if God could just forgive us, Jesus' death achieved nothing. Last night we saw how horrific it was. Jesus prayed in the garden, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way, can we please not do this? And God's answer was essentially this. This is the only way. Can God just forgive? The answer is no. Tonight we're looking at the problem of forgiveness. Why is the situation so serious that God in Jesus needed to die to forgive us? Are you someone who assumes that God will just forgive you? That's his job. If you assume that, that probably means you're not forgiven. It shows that you understand yourself wrong and you, you see God wrong. You haven't considered how serious your sin is or how holy God is and how much he hates your sin. See, when you get these, you'll realize that the problem isn't how come God can't just forgive but how can he forgive me at all? And the message you need to hear tonight is you're not okay with God. He won't just forgive you. In fact, it's much worse than that. There's nothing you can do to make yourself okay with God. Where you will spend eternity is on the line tonight. Eternal life or eternal punishment if you're not forgiven, if you get this wrong. But why? Why is it so hard for God to forgive? Well, first you need to understand yourself better. Point number one, know yourself. See the ugly stain of your sin. You should have your Bibles open. Have a look at Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2 and 3. It says, But your iniquities, iniquities means sins, wrongdoings, the things that you've done wrong, 
But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. What's that verse saying? It's saying, you've got sins. And that, that right there is the problem. Now, it might not sound that bad, but tonight we're going to turn on the light to our real situation. The light in our, home, uh, in our bathroom at home is broken, but the toilet light still works. So what we do is if you ever need to use move the light bulb to whatever room you actually want to use, unless someone wants to poop at the same time someone else wants to shower, then you've got to decide, is it better to shower in the dark or to poop in the dark? Now, I will tell you, you can shower in the dark as long as you, you know, wash in the right places. It's not too bad. You can also poo in the dark. But what you can't do in the dark is this. After you poo, turn around to see if you've left any skid marks. See, a fresh skid mark is pretty easy to get off. That's what the little brush is for, if you're wondering. But if you leave that overnight, it becomes like cement. And you don't want to end up with a permanent skid mark that never goes away. So the light goes in the toilet. Now here's the point. In the dark, you can think things are clean. But when you turn on the light, you find they're way dirtier than you thought. The Bible is our light. See, we live in the dark. We don't really know what clean looks like. But we're about to turn on the light and see the ugly stain of our sin. Point A, your sins separate you from God and leave a stain. Have another look at verse 2 there. But your iniquities, Jacob, have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with guilt. Your lips have spoken falsely and your tongue mutters wicked things. Your iniquities, the wrong things that you have done, what do they do? They separate you from God. Your sin is like a gigantic wall between you and God. Now, why does your sin separate you from God? Because um, isn't sin just kind of like that, that naughty thing that some people sometimes do? How can that kind of a thing separate me from God? That's not what the Bible means by sin. Sin is not just a naughty thing. It is genuinely evil. Have a look at verse 6. It says there in the middle, their deeds are evil deeds. Now you need to believe in good and evil to make sense of the world. For example, if a priest sexually abuses a child, that's not just tragic. It's not just illegal. What has happened is evil. We saw this morning in those talks that God is good. And as a good God, he sets up a standard, his laws. And he wrote the definitions of good and evil into the world that he created. Good is what fits with his law and evil is everything that's against God's law. And it's not just stuff like abuse. Any sin is breaking God's laws. Any sin is evil. And we humans do evil. It's not just those people out there. Any time that we get the opportunity to do evil with no one looking, we do it. For example, don't put your hands up, but how many of us steal movies by streaming them online? Now, you know that's stealing. You know deep down you're not supposed to do that. But you also know that you're not going to get caught. 
And so you do it anyway. Whenever we're given the opportunity to do sin, to do evil, with no one looking, we do it. There's a standard of goodness, a bar that we have to get over. And the Bible says we miss the mark. We do evil deeds. I want to give you four pictures that the Bible uses to to help you get the picture. Four ways the Bible describes sin. Here's number one. Sin is failing to hit the target. It's like we're playing archery. There's the target. Instead of shooting that way, we shoot over there. We shoot at evil. Now, do you realize that you do that in your actions every day? You fail to hit the target? That's sin. Number two, sin is crossing the line. It's as though there's a sign that says, do not enter. This is evil. And we see the sign and we enter anyway. Do you guys realize that you every day cross the lines in your actions? That's sin. Number three, sin is throwing away the rule book. If God's standards of what's good is like a book of rules, sin says, ah, throw that out. Do you realize that you ignore God's laws every day? That's sin. Number four, sin is being twisted in our hearts. Now, I was going to bring something, but I forgot to. Sin's like being twisted in our hearts. It's like if you took one of these metal rulers. Okay, I'm not sure how this is going to go. Because what I'm going to try and do is bend it. See, our heart's desires, instead of being a good and reliable guide to what's true and good, instead, let's see how this goes. I don't want it to shatter, but I want to bend it. That's pretty good. Hey! That's... (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Bend still with his bends. That, that's our hearts, right? Instead of being a good guide to what's, what's right, they all bent in the wrong direction. In fact, it's way worse than that. Even in our hearts and desires, there's evil. Now, do you feel that, that your desires are messed up, that you want things that you shouldn't want? That's sin. Sin is not just naughtiness. We are full of evil. But there's another way that we misunderstand sin. We, we think sin is like this rare occasional thing that we do. It's not. Have a look at verse 12. It says, Our offenses are many in your sight, and our sins testify against us. See, God sees our lives, and there's a lot of sin there. We just don't like to think about those times. We'd rather focus on the few times that we do something good. It's like... Um, I don't know if you've ever played golf. I wouldn't recommend it. But it's like, um, you know, you hit the ball and it goes off to that side. Off to that side. Off to that side. Off to that side. And 50 times it does that and then one. And you know what you say? You're like, that's what I'm talking about. As though that's the real you. That one right there. What, what, what the, that's not the real you. That was a fluke. Those are the real you. But that's what we're like. See, we we just focus on the good times and we think that we're good people. But no, no, no. Sin's not some occasional action we do. God sees our lives and there's a lot of that. There's a lot of sin. Now, I'm not just talking about the bad person sitting next to you. I'm talking about every person in this room. I am talking to you. 
And check out what sin does to you. In verse 3, it says, Your sin stains you with guilt. Have a look at verse 3. Your hands are stained with blood, unless you've killed someone, that's a metaphor, and your fingers with guilt. It's a metaphor for what sin does to you. It leaves a stain on you. You become spiritually dirty. Every sin you've ever committed has left its mark on you. A permanent spiritual stain that, even if it's invisible to the people around you, God sees it. Now, I'm the sort of person who tends to pour cups of tea on things. Okay, Not a little bit of tea, but like a whole cup of tea. Not deliberately, just accidentally. I once poured an entire cup of tea into my laptop. Straight through the keyboard. Devo. Another time I poured a cup of tea over at Monique's house. I put it on the edge of the armchair and I bumped it over. Now normally when that happens, what happens is it's just like splash. This was like a river onto the floorboards that just never ended. It was just like... It just kept going. Just kept pouring out. I don't know why there was so much tea in this cup. Now imagine you got like a, a massive bottle of tomato sauce, and you just spilled it onto this perfectly white tablecloth. What a lot of people think about sin is this. I've sinned, but I'll just stop sinning from now on. In other words, I've spilled this bottle of tomato sauce. I should just stop spilling sauce from now on. Now, what's the problem with that? It doesn't take away the stain that's already there. And that's the problem that you face. Even if from now you never sin again for the rest of your life, you've already sinned. You've already left a stain that won't go away. God sees the ugly stain of your sin and that sin separates you from God. But actually it gets worse. Point B, you are a rebel and enemy of God breaking his laws. That's what it says in verse 12. Yes, the the seagull is rebelling. Have a look at verse 12 with me. At the end of verse 12, it says, Our offenses are ever with us, and we acknowledge our iniquities. What are those offenses? Verse 13, Rebellion and treachery against the Lord, turning our backs on God. Now, you might not think or feel like a rebel against God, but you rebel every time you break His laws. You turn your back on him. Think about it. Deep down, you don't really want God to tell you what to do. You want to be king and decide what to do. That's a rebel. Now, have you heard of the king of Hutt River? In 1970, the owner of a farm in Western Australia declared his farm independent from the rest of Australia. He stopped paying taxes. He started calling himself Prince Leonard, the ruler of Hutt River. Now, he actually issues his own coins and banknotes, and he even makes his own laws. Prince Leonard sees himself and his property as a totally separate country from the rest of Australia. Now, when you get it in perspective, it's just a wheat farm trying to act like something it's not. Basically, he's saying, I don't respect the rule of the government of Australia, so I'll be my own king. I'll make the laws because I refuse to be under anybody. He's given the big stuff you to the Australian government. Now, I reckon to Australians, that's a pretty funny story. A little guy sticking it to the big guys. But it's not so funny when it's a child doing that to their parents. And it's even more of a tragedy when we say that to the God who made us. 
you might not have thought about it like this, but essentially our attitude to God is the same as Prince Leonard's. We say, get lost, God. We're rebels. And that's why sin is so serious. Every time we break God's law, no matter how little, it's serious because we're saying, stuff you to the God of the universe. It's the, it's the first big exchange. We're saying, God, get off the throne. I want to be on the throne. I don't want you to be God. I want to be God. The Bible even uses the word enemies to describe us. In Romans chapter 5, verse 10, it says, We were God's enemies because of this. I have to say, that's a scary place to be. And it leads to a very scary conclusion. Point number C, so you are guilty and deserve punishment. The Bible says that because you've broken God's law and as rebels against the king, you are guilty and deserve punishment. If I drive 200 k's an hour through a school zone, I've broken the law. I deserve a whopping big fine. Well, for breaking God's law, we deserve a far more serious punishment. The Bible says the punishment is forever in hell. That's how serious it is, and that's what's at stake. Now, before you have any hope of finding a solution, you need to own your sin. This is how the Bible describes your situation. Stained with sin, guilty, and deserving punishment. Do you own what God's Word says about you? If you do, you'll realize that we need to get our guilt taken away. Nothing else will help. Doing more good won't take away the stain. We need someone to make us clean. There's the first half of the problem of forgiveness. But that's only our half. The second big thing to see tonight is who God is. See, is God really the sort of God who punishes evil? Well, point number two, see who God is. His holy love that must punish evil. Now, this will surprise you, but when I was at school, I was in the top cricket team. Now, that's partly because uh, at my school, there were only 11 people who wanted to play cricket. And so all you need to do is turn up. But imagine watching a game of cricket where the umpire never says that anyone's out. No matter what you're doing, you never get out. Now, you might think that that would make the game of cricket pretty cool. But actually, it would ruin the whole game. It just wouldn't work if no one got out. A lot of people wish God would be like that umpire. No matter what I do, he won't punish me. But just like that umpire, it actually wouldn't be a good thing. And God is not like that umpire. First, A, God is a God of justice who punishes evil. Look at verse 15. It says, Truth is nowhere to be found. This is like God looking down at the world. And whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. God's looking down at the world, seeing all this sin happening, and it says he's displeased. Why is he displeased? Because there's no justice. Now you see here that God loves justice. Justice means that people who do the wrong thing get what they deserve. It's like the cricket cricket umpire who says, you're out, mate. Now I had two little sisters. And I was pretty good at getting on their nerves. But the other thing I was good at was getting away with it. I think it's the first time I've publicly admitted it. 
But does anyone relate to that? Brittany's laughing. She relates. <laughs> Lots of you relate to it. Now, what drives us crazy is there's just no justice in it. My sisters hated that I got away with it. But that's not what God is like. See, it's a good thing because justice is a good thing. We hate it when life's unfair. It's a good thing when people get what they deserve. It's an evil thing when people don't get what they deserve. And so verse 16 is good news. Look at that with me. According to what they... Oh, I'll read it from the start. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. Wait, that's not verse 16. Excuse me for a sec. Verse 18. According to what they had done, so he will repay. Wrath to his enemies and retribution to his foes. He will repay the islands, their dues. He will repay people according to what they deserve. He'll give them according to what they've done. And the Bible says the punishment for that is hell. See, God is such a fair God that he cannot let evil go unpunished. If God was okay with evil, that would actually make God evil. And on Judgment Day, we will actually praise God for how good he is in punishing the evil of the world. See, even punishing evil glorifies him because it shows that he's a fair God who punishes evil. And that's good news. But it's not good news for you and me who have done evil. It's really bad news. Point B, God is a God of holy love who hates evil and gets angry at sin. Up on screen is Habakkuk, good name. Chapter 1, verse 3. Have, check this out. This is hectic. It's talking about God. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. God is pure. The Bible's word for that is holy. Holy means that God is different from us in every way. He's different from everything else. And one of the ways that God is different from us is that he is 100% pure. See, you know how Mars bars, um, they say on this one, it says, may contain traces of nuts. If, can we go next slide? Is that possible? There we go. Um, if God had a wrapper, it would not say, may contain traces of evil. Unlike us, unlike Mars Vaz, there's no trace of evil in him. God is holy. This verse says that his eyes are so pure, they can't even bear to look at evil. And we're stained with sin. That's why our sins separate us from our God. Have you ever had something come between you and another person? Jono has, has said that this happens to him when his wife, Linda, used to come home from work. You've heard this maybe, but he used to go to work in the hospital as a physio, and, and now that's where Linda worked, or worked before Lin, uh, Luca was born. But that's the problem. See, Jono knows what goes on in hospitals. For example, he knows that it's a physio's job to help people cough up phlegm, and sometimes they cough it on you. Um. He knows that sometimes when you're walking patients, they poop and a bit of it splashes on you. At the end of the day, that muck is all over your work clothes, even if you can't see it. And so when Jono's wife, Linda, would come home from work, he had this problem. See, she'd had this long day and just wanted a hug from her husband. 
But Jono hasn't been at hospital and he's all clean. And all he can think about is the gunk that must be on her clothes from work. And so what kind of happens is like, <laughs> like he hugs her like that and she gets all hurt that he treats her like a leper. And hospital muck comes between Jono and his wife and he, he just doesn't want to be near her until after she's showered. Like the germs from the hospital, the ugly stain of our sin comes between us and God. Because of our sin and his holiness, he can't bear to look at us. That's how much he hates our sin. And so when you come to the end of your life, you should not expect to be with God in heaven unless you can somehow get rid of that stain. Now, I know some of you guys are thinking this. Hang on. Isn't God love? Well, yes, God is love. But you can't summarize God in one word. The Bible says God is loving and holy. His love is holy love. The sort of love, actually, that cares what someone does. A God of holiness, so he punishes sin and won't let it go. And a God of love who weeps for us even as he punishes us. Now, because God is holy, he gets furiously angry with evil. Have a look at verse 18 of Isaiah 59. It says, According to what they've done, so he will repay wrath to his enemies and retribution to his foes. Now, the word used there, do you see it? Wrath. Wrath means God's personal anger towards evil. Not like human anger, which often our anger is selfish, irrational. Usually it's out of control. No, no, no. God's anger is pure. It's rational. It's always in control. But all the same, it's ferocious. The Bible actually uses words like burning with anger when he sees evil. And the Bible says that God's anger always leads to punishment. His anger must be poured out. It only goes away when punishment is complete. There's one last thing to see about God. See? God never compromises who he is. Up on screen, or you can find it in your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 29, it says, He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. See, this is the real bottom of the question. What's the problem of forgiveness? It's not that something outside of God is stopping him from forgiving us. It's that God never changes. He is who he is. He will always act the way he always acts. And he is always just and fair. He will never be unjust or unfair. He will never compromise his holiness to be okay with our evil. But God does love us and he does want to save us. So the big problem of forgiveness is this. How can God be both fair and punish evil and also be a forgiving God, not punishing evil? Can God just let the guilty go unpunished? No. Not if he's to be a just and a fair God. Now, you're thinking, wait, can't God do anything? Well, there is something that he cannot, he will not ever do. He will never do evil. And if he was to compromise his holiness and let guilty people go unpunished, 
That would be evil. That right there is the problem of forgiveness. Ultimately, the problem is God himself. He cannot and will not let our sin go unpunished. Guys, you can't see God like your grandmother, all soft and cuddly. He is loving, more loving than you can imagine, but he's the holy God who will not tolerate evil. And I think in Christianity today, we've lost our vision of God's majesty. We're not very serious about God. In fact, I'll just say this. I've heard some people say like, oh my God is like a swear word. That's a pretty bad thing to do. Use someone's name as a swear word and you're doing it about God. We're very shallow. We're very casual about God. When you understand the God of holy love, that kind of shallowness vanishes. You realize that we should be living our lives in reverent fear. How seriously do you take God? You boldly claim that you're sweet with God, but it never occurs to you that he might send you away from him. We call him our father, but he's also our judge. Beware of assuming you're okay with God. The real question is not, why doesn't God forgive everyone? But rather, how can God forgive anyone? You are stained with sin. God never compromises his holy love that hates sin and must punish it. How can God forgive you? And you should be wondering right now, how can I ever be saved? There's only one thing that can solve our problem. Number three, know your need. A substitute to satisfy God's anger. Basically, we need someone to take the hit for us. What we need is like the story of Father Maximilian Kolbe. Now, during World War II, a monk called Father Maximilian Kolbe was arrested by the Germans and put into a concentration camp. And a few months later, three of the prisoners were sentenced to be executed. And one of them fell to the ground and cried out, my wife, my children. And at that moment, Father Maximilian Colby stepped forward and he asked if he could take the man's place. They accepted his offer. He was placed in an underground cell and he was left to die of starvation. And the man that he saved, he survived the camp and he lived to be 95 years old. That's what we need. First of all, point A, we need someone to pay the penalty. Just like in that story, there's a death sentence hanging over our heads. We've broken God's laws. There's a punishment that must be paid. God's anger at sin will not be stopped until he's punished it. And that's what we mean by satisfying God's anger. Someone to take the full force of God's anger for us by paying the penalty. And that's what happened at the cross. He, the innocent one, stepped forward. To pay our penalty. And Jesus took our death sentence. Some people think that Jesus' death was just like an inspirational thing that he did. He was dying there to show us how much he loved us. Well, it was an inspirational thing. But it's critical to understand that it was not just an inspirational example. It actually achieved something. Jesus paid our penalty. And if our penalty has been paid, God's anger has been satisfied. It's gone. Our sins no longer need to separate us from God. And I want you to know the word for it tonight. The word is atonement. 
It's the word atonement means fixing a situation. Next slide. Um, it means um, it means fixing the broken relationship between two people. See, the word gives it away. Atonement, atonement, making people at one. Jesus' death is the atonement between us and God. Between, uh, because of Jesus' death, you can escape the punishment that you deserve for your sins. You can be brought back to God. But it's not automatic. You need to receive Jesus. So if, like Maddie, you want to do that, find out this week how you can. But just like in that story of Father Maximilian Colby, we have to have someone pay our penalty. But to do that, we have to have someone take our place. That's point B. When Jesus died on the cross, he died there to take our place as our substitute. Now, it's like if I was in a UFC wrestling match okay, against these huge, beefy guys, and, and I can't possibly beat them, and everyone can see I'm going to get smashed. And then Arnold Schwarzenegger or the Hulk or Captain America reaches over and he goes, Oi, let me take this guy for you. And he jumps into the fight in my place. And what happens to him counts for me. When he wins, I win. That's us and Jesus. Jesus says, I will take your place. He is our substitute, taking our penalty to make atonement. Now, the big fancy word for this, don't worry if you can't get this, but it's penal substitutionary atonement. Penal means paying our penalty, penalty, penalty. What are you laughing at? (laughs) Substitutionary means by taking our place, and atonement means fixing the situation between us and God. Penal, substitutionary, atonement. And if that made no sense to you, don't worry. Or if you're just laughing at a funny word, don't worry about it. I just wanted that there so the guys who like big words get their money's worth. But there's another way to say the same thing. Ready? It's the great exchange. I want you to get this. It's what Martin Luther called it. The good news of the gospel, point C, is the great exchange. Us, sinful people. Jesus, innocent, never sinned. And Jesus trades places with us. We get his goodness, his righteousness, and the ugly stain of our sin goes on him. And he pays our punishment in our place for our sins. Now, you know when they sacrificed an animal in the Old Testament, they were acting out the great exchange. What they would, when, they, when they sinned, what they'd do is they'd get a fluffy little goat. And they would put their hand on the goat's head to symbolize their sins and guilt going onto the goat. And then they would kill the goat. And that would say... I realize that the punishment for my sins is death. But instead of me dying, the goat is dying in my place as a substitute. That's a picture of the great exchange. But a goat can't take our place. Me, a human has sinned. A human has to take our place. And that's why Jesus came as a human. But how could one man take the place of billions of sinners. Only God could pay that kind of a price. And that's why only Jesus can be our Savior. Jesus is, the, is God the Son come to earth as a human. 
And so as a human, he can take our place. And as God, he's able to take the punishment for billions of sinners. Have you ever wondered how is it fair that an innocent guy would pay our punishment? It's because Jesus was not just some random innocent third party. He's actually God himself, the one that we did our crimes against. And God himself takes our punishment onto himself in Jesus. See, God the Father loves us and wants to save us, so he sent Jesus. God the Son loves us and wants to save us, and so he willingly came. It wasn't God forcing an innocent Jesus to do something that he doesn't want to do, and it's not Jesus trying to persuade a reluctant God to let him save us. No, both of them together were working to save us. And so Jesus wasn't just some innocent third party. It was God taking our punishment onto himself in Jesus, his son, the God-man. And that's why only Jesus can be our savior. Only Jesus can pay our punishment. And so how do I know that Christianity is the right religion? It's because no other religion will work. Other religions are all built around us fixing our problem But that will never work. We can't take away the stain of our sin and guilt. We can't take away God's anger and the punishment we deserve. We need someone who can take our place and pay our penalty. It can only be the God-man, Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know what problems there are in your life right now. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's that thing that no one else knows about. I don't doubt that there are real issues in your life. But the biggest problem in your life is that you are stained with sin, the ugly stain of sin. And the God of the universe is a holy God, next slide, who must punish sin. No other problem compares with the almighty God being angry at you. And I'm saying tonight that your biggest problem can be solved but only by the God-man Jesus. Jesus died in your place for your sins so you don't have to. He died the death you deserve to die, to pay the price that you could not pay so that you could get the life forever that you don't deserve. But it's not automatic. Hear me, listen to me at this point. You are not forgiven unless you have Jesus as your substitute. Have you asked Jesus to take your place and pay your penalty? Please, Eva Youth, you in the audience right now, if you haven't done that, do that this week. And how good is it that there is a Savior? How good is God? It's all from God, despite the ugly saying of our sin. He still loved us and He still found a way to forgive us. How good is Jesus? The great exchange. He took our punishment for sin to make it possible. More than anything else, this is the thing that we thank God for. And as I said last night, he didn't stay dead. He defeated sin and death and he rose again to live in victory forever. And so to finish, I want to just say to you, everyone, tonight, Please feel how serious your sin is. Please own that this is your biggest problem, how God hates it. Realize that Jesus is the only solution. 
You can't save yourself. And this week, make Jesus your savior. And if you've done that, rejoice in the beautiful Great exchange. Our sin was that we tried to put ourselves in God's place to be the king, the role he deserved. Our salvation was that God put himself in our place and accepts the penalty that we deserve. Can you think of a king who would do that? What an amazing king we've got. Father God, we are sorry for our sin. Thank you that you're a good God who hates sin and punishes it. You're not an evil God who's okay with sin. We own our sin. We confess it. We're sorry. Thank you for sending Jesus to pay our penalty, take our place so that we don't have to. Father, I pray that people in this room will trust in Jesus as their substitute this week and receive eternal life. And for us, God, I pray that we will see our, our need and rejoice in your goodness to us in giving us what we did not deserve as Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.